Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Last week we started this series called Questions. And we're going to go to question number two this week. Is Jesus the only way? It's a question a lot of people struggle with because it sounds a little bit arrogant to say that, that Jesus is the only way and we have it. And you don't. And you need it. And many people have a real hard time with that in our culture today because it sounds so exclusive, kind of arrogant. My wife and I went up to Boulder for her birthday on Friday, and, and we had a great day traveling around. And I pulled out my phone, which I use quite a bit now when I travel, and opened up to the map section and put a destination in. And all I have to do is, is click uh, start, and it gives me a map how to get to the place I'm going. Not only does it tell me how to, how to get to where I want to go, it gives me usually three options. Uh, number one is, is the best one, probably the, the quickest one, and then there's a two and a three. Now, uh, you can take any one of those. You can, you'll find it'll take a different amount of time. You'll see different scenery. The traffic might be different, um, but the destination is the same. And many people look at the world's religions and say, they're kind of like that. that, that religions are all different, but they're all heading to the same destination, to God, to eternal life, to whatever there is at the end. And, and some may take a short path, some may take a long path, some may take a very scenic path, but in the end, they all get to the same place. And in our culture today, our pluralistic culture, that's become more and more the way to look at things. I mean, we have Judaism, we have Islam, we have Hinduism, we have all kinds of different religious paths. And what's happened today, and we're going to talk this more in a few weeks when we get to another topic, but tolerance today means more than you just accept another view. Tolerance today means that you affirm the other view. Not only are you going to allow a room for it, you're going to say it's equally as valid as my position. And that's the way it is with religions. People want to say that not only are all religions acceptable, they're all equal. None are better than the other. And I want to say just from the onset here that oftentimes we make statements like that out of ignorance. And many of us will say things like that because what well, we feel like, you know, I go to church, I'm somewhat of a, a religious expert. You know, today there's a lot of that going on. People think just because they stayed in the Holiday Inn Express, they're an expert on something. You know, I, I went to a financial seminar, therefore I know investing. I have the Zillow app, I know real estate. Uh, I, I know medical stuff because I got an email from my mom. You know, we, when we start talking with authority on subjects, we really haven't thought through, and I think we do a lot on this topic as well. We haven't really thought through. And so what I want to do today is, is one, for those of you who've, who've never believed that Jesus is the only way, you've been to church and you say, well, it's good for me. I don't know if it's the way that everyone has to believe. I want to challenge you today. And for those of you who've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as the only way, I want to challenge you too of what you're putting your trust in. And I want to correct some, some thoughts in some of our minds that maybe the Jesus we're believing in isn't the Jesus of Scripture. And so as we enter into this subject, um, let's just begin by praying. Father, we open our hearts, we open our minds to your truth. Would you speak to us through your word, Father? We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for who he is. And Lord, if there's anything wrong in our thinking about him, we pray that you would unravel that today and then replace it with the thoughts that come from you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. What I want to do is, is take that question, is Jesus the only way, and really break it down to some of the, the sub-questions, the questions underneath the questions, because that's where we'll unearth and I think get some answers. For example, the first one is, doesn't religious exclusivism produce the very things Jesus opposes? Judgmentalism, bigotry, and hatred. I mean, how can Christians 
be so arrogant to say they have the only way and that everyone else needs to convert to that view. I mean, there's hundreds of religions in the world. There are thousands upon thousands, especially if you go into Hinduism, thousands upon thousands of gods to be worshipped. What gives you the right to say you found the one true God? Isn't that arrogant? Isn't that kind of bigoted? Atheist philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche said, I will believe in the Redeemer when a Christian looks a little more like the redeemed. Gandhi said, I like their Christ. I don't like their Christians. And, and there is a problem with some people coming across as very arrogant and proud and superior than others. It, it can happen in Christianity. It can happen really in any religion. It can happen in denominations. Probably all of us have known some people over the course of our lives who belong to a certain sect within Christianity that said, we have it right. And unless you become part of our denomination, our church, you might go to hell. I mean, I've seen it in, in certain segments of the Lutheran church, of the Catholic church, of the churches of Christ, of Baptist churches, that unless you become one of us, you're on the outside. We're this little group that is truly saved. And it creates this arrogance that we've got it all figured out and you don't, and therefore you need to become like us. Anytime you believe something that's exclusive, you can slide toward that attitude. But that doesn't discount the fact that there are some things that are true and they, that we must believe in. Christians aren't the only ones that believe they found the way. Those that belong to Islam feel they have the way. People who belong to many religions feel that they found the way. It's not just Christians. But those who follow Jesus ought to become more and more like the one they follow. If you truly are following Jesus, you'll become more loving, more gracious, more patient, more kind. In 1 John chapter 2, Verses 5 and 6, it says the path of the believer. If anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims in him must live as Jesus did. And so we're becoming more and more like Jesus. When you truly understand the grace of Jesus, it will make you more gracious. When you truly understand the love of God that he has for you, you become more loving. That's just natural. If we're becoming more arrogant and bigoted and separated from people, maybe we're not getting close to the Jesus of Scripture. So you may ask, Pastor, if we love others then, why don't we just leave them alone? Why don't we let them choose the path that they think gets them close to God? Well, how did Jesus love people? How did Jesus show love to people? You know, there was a group of people in Jesus' day that were very religious. They had their religion. They had their understanding of the Hebrew Scriptures. And Jesus says, you guys have it all wrong. You can't continue in that path. That's not going to get you close to God. In fact, it's getting you further from God. Jesus loved them enough to tell them they were wrong. Sometimes love tells someone they are wrong. It's because of the love of Christ that we do that. The love of Christ, the Scripture says, compels us. You know, when you look at the Apostle Paul and what the love of Christ did for him, it was amazing. And I think this is, this is really an example for all of us. Here was this religious man who was very legalistic, but then he met Jesus. His life was changed and his heart was changed. And listen to his heart. 
Here's Paul in in Romans chapter 9. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. He's pleading, saying, if they could be saved, I would be willing to go to hell for their salvation if that's what it took. I love them so much. It's the love of Christ that motivates us to tell people, you're going down a wrong path. And we don't object to that in other areas of life. You may have a friend that wants to lie on a resume or lie on their income taxes or lie to their spouse about something they did or or didn't do. And you, because you've had experience of the consequences of lying, tell them with great passion, don't lie. You've got to always tell the truth. You may have a, a son or daughter that wants to make a, a bad financial move. You know, they, want to, they want to lease a car. They want to take out this loan. They want to get an arm for their house. And you say, you know what? I've done that, honey. That's not a good move. And you're, and you're going to try to convince them with passion that what they're doing is wrong because you believe something else is right. We do that in a lot of areas of life. So why is it so wrong to do that when it comes to religion? If, if what we believe about Jesus is true, here's the conclusion. Truth is exclusive. Truth by its very nature is exclusive, which means some things aren't true. If this is true, some things aren't true. For example, two plus two equals... Some of you aren't real sure on that. Let me try that again, okay? It's not a trick question. Two plus two equals four. It doesn't equal five. Doesn't equal eight. Doesn't equal six. It always equals four. That's pretty narrow thinking, isn't it? You're very narrow-minded about that truth. Truth is narrow. Truth says this is what's true, and these things aren't. And so if, if something about Jesus is true, there are some things that cannot be true. Those who indict Christians for claiming superiority actually are doing the very same thing. For example... Those who want to say that all religions are equal are basically saying, my view is superior than your view. My view that all religions are equal is superior to your view that says your religion is equal. So it's it's doing the very same thing they're fighting against, that someone has a superior view. We see all religions, and, and no honest person would say that all religions are equal because there are some religions that do some very bizarre things. They sacrifice children. They, de- they demean women. Are they all equal? Well, not all of them, but, but all the good ones. Okay, again, you're now evaluating. Are they all equal or not? We may say, well... If they would become enlightened like us, they would look at it differently. Again, we put our way. We say God is all-loving, all-accepting. God is non-judgmental. Therefore, we should be the same way. But now we're saying my interpretation of God is better than your interpretation of God. So you can't help but get into the same rut that you're trying to uh, call Christians for being in. You become arrogant and judgmental. And you try to win other people over to your view, which is what Christians try to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's called proselytizing, winning people over to your viewpoint. This summer, I I watched a video by a man named, um, his name's uh, Penn Gillette. He's part of the comedy magician duo um, Penn and Teller. Uh, He's he's not a a very kind man. In fact, here's a picture of, um, of Penn. 
And he says, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. Now, he's not a Christian by any means. He, in fact, he says, if, if you want to become an atheist, all you need to do is read the Bible from cover to cover, and it will convert you to atheism. He's very hostile to Christianity. But he says this, I respect Christians who try to win others over to their viewpoint. Because he says it's the logical conclusion that if you believe something is true, you will care enough about people to try to win them over. He says if you believe, he doesn't believe this, but he says if you believe there is a heaven and hell and people could go to hell and you think it's not really worth telling them this because it would make, them, it, would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody not to proselytize them? I mean, if I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, there's a certain point where I would just tackle you. What he's saying is if you believe it's true, you will tell others. Again, as the scripture says, for the love of Christ compels us that one died for all and therefore all died. That's, that's Jesus. Another sub-question is, aren't all religions basically the same but just packaged a little differently? There's this um, parable that's been told over and over again that of blind men and an elephant, of, of blind men um, touching an elephant, trying to figure out what it is they're touching, and, and one touches the tusk and thinks it's a pipe, and someone, someone touches the, the leg and feels like it's a trunk, and someone else touches the trunk and they feel it's a branch of a tree. And... and they're looking and touching at different parts of the elephant, but they only see or, or experience a part of the greater reality. Therefore, all religions see a piece of the reality. And if you put all those pieces together, then you get the big picture of the elephant. But let me ask you this. When the man's touching the, the elephant's leg and says it's a trunk, who's going to tell him it's not a trunk? When, when someone's touching the tusk of the elephant and says, I, I, think the, I think this is a pipe, someone says, no, it's not a pipe. Who's telling them that? It's the person who's standing back and sees the whole elephant. They're saying, no, it's not a pipe, it's an elephant. If you, if you weren't blind, you could see that. Well, who's the person who sees the big picture? Who in our lives sees the big picture that's able to tell us that all these are pieces of a greater reality? Who is that immensely intelligent, wise person that can tell us that. Because after all, we're all, each of us are only seeing a piece of it. And if every human only sees a piece of it, who's outside of all of us that sees the whole elephant? You see that, how nonsensical that is? Someone has to tell us, it's not a trunk, it's not a pipe, it's an elephant. We would say it's God. That God sees the big picture. God sees the, the greater reality. Similar is said, well, don't they all just say you believe in God and you love others? And, and in a sense, maybe they do. Maybe that's at the core of all of them. But what about believing in God because Buddhism doesn't have a God? Buddhism doesn't believe in God. Hinduism believes in thousands of gods. So who is this God that's being believed in? And even further, what does it mean to love others? Because if you lived in India and you saw someone in poverty, you'd say, I don't help them because that's karma. They're suffering for their sins. So we don't help them. So what does it mean to love others when we as Christians say to love others means I love them better than myself. I, I lift them up. I care about them. I give them compassion. When Hinduism says, no, 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 you don't do that. So what does it mean? Do they all really teach the same thing? I know people say that, but it's not practiced. 
We don't practice the same things. You go to the Middle East, look at how Islam uh, values women. It's different than Christianity. Are they all really the same? Now, maybe they teach similar values, but they clash on core beliefs. I I, I like a man named Ravi Zacharias. He's, uh, He's from India. He's an apologist, meaning he finds the reasons and teaches about the reasons we believe in Christianity. And, and he says there are four key questions. Origin. And, and he says as he goes through these questions and looks at all the different religious systems in the world, Christianity answers them better than any other one. Origin. Where do we come from? Well, Scripture says in the beginning, God made heaven and earth. That there was a point in time when life began. My wife and I went up to Boulder this weekend and on Friday night went to the planetarium there. I've never been to a planetarium. We want to see what it was like. And they, they had all these images of, the, of space. And then they started to back up and show you um, the, the Milky Way and the galaxies and the solar system and all these hundreds and thousands, maybe millions of stars. And you go, this, is, this world, this universe is incredibly huge. And just to verify what, what I've heard over the years, what I've studied over the years, I asked the one that was giving the presentation, does all this go back to one point in time? Does, does all this movement of stars and planets and all this go back to a point in time where it kind of began? And he says, yeah, it does. Now, rather than a, a little dot exploding, it's like there was a sphere that exploded because things are going in all different directions. But he says, yes, everything condenses back. I said, hmm, seems to line up with the view that everything began at a point, that things weren't eternally existing. That lines up with Scripture that says God spoke and then it came into being. One of the, one of the um, persons in that planetarium asked, man, with all those different stars and planets and solar systems and galaxies, uh, surely there's life out there. And the man says, yes, there's, uh, I'm sure there is. <laughs> and I laughed inside saying, dude, there's no trace of life anywhere else. I mean, even driving to church today, I'm looking, uh, I'm looking at the creation, the beautiful trees, the mountains, the skies, and, and, and the antelope, and all these things around us. And then I look at the moon, because we had these close-up shots of the moon. It's a big dust ball. And most, most of the things out in the space are dust balls or fireballs. There, there's not even a trace of an organism that's moving around and doing anything, let alone um, build buildings and highways and computers and all the intelligent things we're doing. And I think, wow, we think all the stuff we see on Earth began with some cell splitting and then we got trees, and we've got animals, and we've got human beings that write, um, that, that, that write books and create um, uh, cures for diseases. All that came from this little, really? Scripture says we were made in the image of God. I think that makes more sense to me. It, the meaning of life, why are we here? Well, we believe that we don't have meaning apart from God, that we were made to know God, to follow God, to live forever with God. Morality, he says, how we behave. He says Christianity gives us a guide how to behave, that, that there are really only two options. Either we as humans decide what is best or someone else tells us what is best, someone above us. And, and we in our culture are pretty good at trying to determine what we think is best. That's why um, laws about marriage and sexuality and all those things change because we sort of vote on it. What's moral and what's immoral? 
But see, that, that'll, that'll change from generation to generation unless there's a standard above us which Scripture gives us. Our, our morality is based on the character of God. We believe that makes the most sense. Destiny is the fourth area. Where are we going? Hinduism says we just get recycled into another life. Buddhism says we just dissolve into this nothingness. Christianity says you'll, you'll die, be buried, and if you believe in Jesus, you'll be raised from the dead to live forever in heaven. Which do you believe in? Which makes the most sense? And which has evidence that that really happens? Well, we say, I believe that Jesus Christ died, was buried, rose from the dead. We celebrate that. History validates that something miraculous happened because they could never find the body. So when you look at all those questions, it seems like, you know, Christianity, this religion Jesus taught, seems to make the most sense. And culture will try to quiet Christians as well as other religious people. You keep it to yourself. Keep it in your church buildings. Don't let it bleed out into the public life. In some cultures, they'll try to control religion. China and Russia and other atheistic regimes have tried to control religion, but what it's done is actually produced a culture that's hungry for religion. You know that in China, over the last 100 years, Christianity has gone from 1% of the population to, to a much, much higher percentage? They believe that it could be in the next 20 years as high as 40%, 50%. Korea went from 1% to 40% believers. When you move God out, it creates this vacuum, and people don't find the answers, and it creates this hunger for God. And almost always, when you go to these cultures, even where Christianity is not accepted, it's being persecuted, you will find people who believe in personal conversion. They'll believe in the authority of Scripture. They'll believe in the miraculous intervention of God. And when people try to suppress it and shut it down, it actually gets, gets stronger. It gets rooted deeper. When you believe something's true, you're willing to die for it. And that's why when we say that Jesus is the only way, we didn't make it up. It's not something we devised. It came from God. Jesus is the one who said he's the only way. Jesus is the one who said it. For example, John 14, 6. This is a verse you ought to memorize. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So who's being exclusive? Jesus. Did he say there's many options? And he says, there's one. No one comes to the Father except how? Through him. Who said it? Jesus. So all we're doing is echoing what Jesus said. Now, the apostles said the same thing in Acts 4.12. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. There's no, there's no two or three or 100 options. There's no other name to connect to God. If all religions were the same, God throughout history would have said, let the pagan nations worship the gods they worship. But you don't see that. You see God judging those who worship false idols, other religions, so that they could be converted to to faith in the true living God. A third sub-question. How can you say that good people will go to hell while some ungodly people will go to heaven? It's hard to argue against a good life because we all want to see people get better and better. And sometimes people look at Christians and say, you know, those people aren't better than us. And there's some truth to that. And here's why I think that is. People who are further from God are more attracted to surrender to God than those who are kind of innately good. 
Those who've just lived a good life. It's easier for those of us who've lived a pretty good life to say, I think I'm good enough the way I am. But for, for someone who's lived a really bad life and they say, there's no way I deserve heaven, those are the kinds of people who say, I better give my life to God because I don't deserve it. There's no chance I will ever qualify for heaven. So what you have in a church is a high percentage of very bad people who've given their lives to God. And what you have in culture is a high percentage of pretty decent people, and I'm not saying perfect, but pretty decent people who many think they're good enough the way they are. And so when you compare in our culture, people are pretty good to the church people who've come out of alcoholism, drug abuse, violence, you know, all kinds of stuff in our lives. We're getting better than we were, but we may not look better than the culture. Do you see what I'm saying? Christians have a, churches have a high percentage of people who live very bad lives. Now they're getting better and they're, they're changing through repentance and redirecting their lives, but there's still a lot of junk in our lives we're trying to overcome. But what really is goodness anyway? In Romans chapter 3, listen to verse 22. Excuse me, verse 12. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. So what is good? There's a a man I like to listen to on the radio. He's Jewish. He's a very good man. He has a good radio program. But he doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. Doesn't trust that he died for his sins. Would that be a good man? We consider that a good man who denies Jesus. Jesus, by the way, didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Came to make dead people live. If I believe that the the end product, the end thing God's after is good people, then my goal in life is to try to live a, a better life. But if God's goal is to make me alive then I'm going to have a little bit different approach. Not that I don't want to be good, but I want to live a life that's connected with God so that I can live. Because goodness is not enough to save anyone. In Romans chapter 4, chapter over, verses 4 and 5, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift but an obligation. If you work, you deserve to get paid. However, to the one who does not work but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited to them as righteousness. Listen to that. The person who does good will get what he deserves. That's his wage. But the person who does not work, who's not good, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, he will be justified because of his faith. And what what Paul's trying to point out is, no matter how good you are, you're going to get in the end what you deserve. It may not be what you think it is. But those who recognize the fact that they're not good enough but trust in Christ, it will be credited to them as righteousness. They are the ones who will be saved. No one goes to hell or heaven for being good enough or not good enough. It's all based on your belief in Jesus Christ. Those who go to heaven believe in Jesus. Those who go to hell do not believe in Jesus. It's not based on works. It's based on faith or lack of faith. Our problem is sin. Sin separates us from God. That's the effect of sin. We need a Savior. God sent Jesus as our Savior. We believe in Him. We trust in Him. We have eternal life. 
We deny that sacrifice, that gift from God. We go to eternal separation from God. It's all based on our belief, not our works. God has given Jesus so that we would trust in him with all our hearts. I like what C.S. Lewis said. There are only two kinds of people in the world. And in the end, we'll all experience one of these two things. Those to whom say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says, thy will be done. Because either we are surrendering to God now on earth and saying, God, your will in my life, it's all about you. Or we say, no, it's about me. God says, it's about you, okay. It's about you forever. And you'll be with yourself forever, but you won't be with me. God doesn't save people because they're good. He saves them because they trust him for what he did for them. Let's compare two people. A very good person, Gandhi, very, very revered in the world as a very humble man, a sacrificing man, a good man. And let's compare him to a guy named um, David Berkowitz. David Berkowitz was known as the son of Sam serial killer. David Berkowitz went into prison, lifetime sentence for the murders he committed, and yet he claims to have found Jesus while he was in prison. He's, been, he's become a preacher. He preaches now. He leads people to Jesus. And, and it's appalling to some people to think, are you telling me that this mass murderer will go to heaven while Gandhi could go to hell? That does not make any sense at all. And what we're looking at is the short view of things. Because we look at his sins on earth as so heavy. And yet, God is using David Berkowitz to lead many to Christ. There are going to be more people in heaven because of God's grace given through David Berkowitz than through Gandhi. Gandhi is not pointing anybody to Jesus. Nobody's going to be in heaven because of Gandhi pointing them to the only way to get to heaven. In fact, Gandhi is influencing people away from Jesus Christ to an, e- to an eternity of separation from him. So when you look at the big picture of things, who's good? Who's gooder than the other? The man who lived a bad life but's leading people to eternal life through Jesus or the man who lived a good life but's directing people away from Jesus? From God's perspective, who's the good man? And, and, and let me add this. David Berkowitz will admit It's not about me. I am nothing. It's all about him. He directs attention to the God who gave him grace. Who's Gandhi pointing attention to? Not to God. Not to Jesus. People are looking at Gandhi and what they're saying is, what a great man he was. People look at David Berkowitz and say, what a great Jesus he has. And that's the difference. So what is good and what is a good man? According to God, the good man is the one who believes in Jesus and trusts in him. The last question, what about those who've never heard about Jesus Christ? What about those who've never heard? Are you telling me that if someone doesn't hear about Jesus, they're going to hell? That because I was born in America, I was born in Europe, I was, I was raised in a culture that taught Christianity, I have a, an advantage over those who grew up in India or in the Middle East or South America, some other place? Do you mean God's going to give me an advantage over everybody else? But you and I need to know that God has not been silent throughout history. God has not been silent. In in Romans chapter 1, it tells us that God has been speaking for a long, long time. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. God says, I've been revealing myself through creation, all through 
history. I've made myself known to the world. That's why people are religious by nature. There's something within them that, that calls them to believe in a higher power, something greater than them. In Acts chapter 17, Paul's in Athens, and they have all these statues of the various gods they trust. And he explains to them that there is one true God, the God they really need to trust. And he says this about God. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this. Listen to this. He did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. What it says is God's not far from anybody. Through what God has revealed and through nature, God has made himself known. God has come close to where people responded and reached up to him. They would find God. Now, they might not know Jesus and, and all his life story, but they have the opportunity to respond to God. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse 13, it says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. If someone is truly seeking God, you will find him. You will find God. In fact, if you know someone who says, well, I don't know that God, I, I've always told people, can you do this? Would you be willing to say this prayer? God, if you're there, help me find you. God, if you're real, I want to know you. I believe if that's a sincere prayer, you will find God. Because we all are responsible for the knowledge that we have, not the knowledge we don't have. God's gone to great lengths to make himself known through nature, through the word, and ultimately through the presence of Jesus Christ on this earth. God has revealed him. Sometimes God goes so far to give visions there are all over the world, particularly in Hinduism and in Islam, people who are having visions of Jesus Christ and surrendering their lives to him. God is calling out to people of all nations to surrender to him. Now, if all religions were basically the same and equally valid, it would tell us that we have no need to evangelize anybody because people aren't as bad as maybe we think they are. If all religions are equally valid, let's bring all the missionaries home because they're messing up their lives. They don't need to be out there telling people they need to accept Jesus because whatever religion they have is good enough for them. It'll get them there in the end. Come back home. Let's just celebrate because God is good and God is love and we'll all be there in the end. But that's not the scriptures we read. Jesus said, go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. Preach the gospel to all creation. Go and I'll be with you Always. As believers, we have an obligation to tell others. And instead of standing back and saying, I don't know how God could tell those people who never heard about him that they're going to a Christless eternity without Jesus, I think God's saying, then why aren't you telling them? Why aren't you sacrificing to send missionaries to those places? Why aren't you praying about those people? Don't judge me, God says. Be obedient. My heart is for them. I can't go to a million places on this planet when Jesus was on this earth, he was one body, one man. He relies on us as believers to get out there. That's why we as a church support missions. That's why we uh, teach our children. That's why we have a ministry to um, those in our congregation who are deaf. That's why we send missionaries to Namibia and Tanzania and Thailand and New Zealand so that people would turn from their ways to the true living God. Before Jesus left this earth, he made a promise. He told Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said this, that one truth, 
You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, is the rock upon which I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And you know, people can argue about their view of the end times, and if you're, if you're once saved or always saved, or how we baptize people, and is the Bible fully accurate in every detail, and all these things. But the one belief that unites Christians all around the world is this. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the Bible says it's the most important thing about you. The most important thing is what you believe about Jesus. Because whether you get into heaven or not is all hinged upon that, nothing else. Jesus said, do you believe who I am? Have you surrendered to me as Savior and Lord? If that's the one thing that if you get wrong, you get everything wrong. But if you get that one thing right, you can spend an eternity with Jesus in heaven. Now, Jesus made some pretty bold claims about himself. He said he would, he would uh, forgive sin. He said he could raise the dead. He said he could give us eternal life. Jesus made claims that were pretty astounding. And either you believe this man was true when he said, I, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Either he was true or he was the worst kind of liar to put everything on himself. C.S. Lewis makes this profound statement in his book, Mere Christianity. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So I want to ask you to stand right now. Invite our prayer partners up front. Because there may be some in this room who when we sang that song earlier about I believe, we're very casual about that belief. But today Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way you'll ever know God is to come through me. And today is your day to fall at his feet. Say, you are my Savior and you are Lord. I give my life to you. And so as we're up here to meet, if any of you desire today to bow your knee to Jesus, to worship him as the one and only way, your only hope for eternal life, that today you surrender to him, come up. We'd love to pray with you, help you make your next steps in your walk with Jesus. Let's sing this song once again. But I believe that Jesus is the Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried in a tomb, was raised from the dead, and calls us to an eternal life with him in heaven? Do you believe? That's nothing to be ashamed of. But it's something we ought to be burdened by to share with those who don't know. You don't have to be arrogant to believe it. But if we truly love Jesus and love those whom Jesus died for, it puts a weight on our shoulders. We have family members. We have neighbors. There are people all around this world who are trapped and blinded. And either Jesus is true or he's not. Either Jesus was a liar or he's the way, the truth, and the life, just as he said. And so let that motivate us, compel us to share Christ with as many people as we can. Let's, let's motivate us to pray for those who don't know Jesus and to support the work of missionaries and those that are serving all around the world. And next week, why don't you invite someone to come to church, someone that doesn't know Jesus, so that they can have the same opportunity you and I have every week to surrender our lives to him. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.
Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.